episode 37 of the Metro Fan TV rundown coming to you live after hours, after six months of quarantine. And what an eventful day we've had in the world of New York Red Bull soccer. Lenz and Fernando here after six months for their newest episode to discuss the events of this morning, shall we say. How are you today, this evening, Fernando? I'm glad you asked. I am doing absolutely fucking stupendous. I'm in, I'm in fucking cloud nine. I cannot believe this happened. It feels like a, it feels like a liberation of sorts, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's what it's that thing where like you spend so much time wanting something to happen, then when it finally happens, it's like, did, did that did that happen? Really? Yeah, I woke up this morning and I realized it wasn't a dream, and it felt nice, to be honest. It's uh, probably the best Saturday morning I've had in a while. Uh, speaking of which, let's let's recap real quick uh, to about the events that brought us to this point. So since we last spoke uh, following a podunk 0-0 draw on the road in Utah, the, the world shut down, everybody's been confined to their houses, People are bitching about wearing masks outside for some unfathomable reason. Uh, (laughs) And the world has been ravaged by a disease that doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. But in the meantime, on the soccer front, despite the out-of-control situation in the United States, we had a fake tournament in Orlando, which we spectacularly flamed out of because we played like a bunch of bin men. And then regular season play resumed. Everybody moved into our house in Harrison, New Jersey, rent-free, probably. They put neo-Nazi insignia in the South Ward because of NYCFC. (laughs) (laughs) And and the team continued to play like shit, right? Um, we only managed to beat NYCFC off a absolute all-time Sean Johnson moment and then proceeded to lose to DC United in what can only be described um, nicely as probably the worst cu- worst game I have probably seen this team play, like, more or less all year. That's... That's definitely the worst game. And maybe not the worst game. There's been more, like, gross games in terms of, like, what the fuck is happening. But that is, without question, the most embarrassing loss. Like, even for the Chris Armas standard, uh, which, uh, for me, I I had no standard at that, you know, for for the last two seasons or season and a half. But, um, yeah, even for as low as the bar was, I – even I didn't realize that, that we would, like, lose that bad against them. And I didn't even realize until afterwards, until after the game was done, how bad it was. Because I didn't realize that so many of their starters were injured. I didn't realize they had so many, like, just randos. Like, this was, like, their fucking E-team. This was, this was like, you know in hockey when, like, if all your goalies die... They have that, like the guy in the fucking the, the fan in the stands that they just say, "Hey, come on down and, and just suit up." That's basically what DC did for this fucking game. They just picked some random teenagers off the fucking street, and we still lost. And we had five subs. We, he had five chances to fix this shit, 
and make something happen, they still couldn't fucking do it. That is just flat out embarrassing. Yeah, and I mean, for that to happen at home, like Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's more or less rock bottom losing to a bunch of high school sophomores, right? Like you're supposed to be a professional team. Is this how Chelsea felt? <laughs> yeah, it basically is, right? Like, I mean, average age of, I think, what, 26, 27 on our side, right? The veteran, um, slightly more veteran roster with international caps, like, amongst them, right? I mean, Danny Royer, yeah. Austrian, Austrian National, Aaron <laughs> Aaron Long and Tim Parker, caps with the U.S. men's national team. Now, provided Parker didn't play, but nevertheless, um, dude, like, like, Losing to a high school varsity team should rightfully be seen as unacceptable for any club with any semblance of professional ambitions. And going into this episode, we were going to have a State of the Union address about how things have managed to fall this far in just the span of, I think, two years, right, at this point. When suddenly, this morning, the script changed in a significant way. And that, of course, refers to the fact that our two years of misery are over. We have been freed from the tyranny of Chris Armis and his absolutely brain-dead tactical setup. He's gone. Kevin Thelwell picked up the phone and said, get the fuck out. I'm taking you over now. I am the captain of this <laughs> ship. And... Really, I think when you put everything in context from everything that's transpired since Jesse Marsh moved to Salzburg, like this was a long time coming, right? The second half of the 2018 season, definite honeymoon period because that was still an all-time great MLS roster that was carrying a manager. Um, 2019, you lose a generational player in Tyler Adams, but you retain 10 out of your 11 starters from a team that set the points record last year and then proceeded to just turn into this absolutely anonymous, lunch-pail, scrappy team, grinding out, like, what, 1-0 losses or 1-0 defeats, I think, almost on a consistent basis. It got to a point where you didn't even need to tune in to know how the story would go, right? I mean, like, a, like, mm -hmm. like it was absolutely shambolic, I would say. You just know that the team would kind of faff around for about 85 minutes in the game. And just an either sheer random moment of luck would result in us getting, like, a result. Or the other way around. And that's sort of... That's sort of the thing that I've always found kind of funny about this team, right? Under the Chris, during the Chris Armas era, is that we were always kind of good enough to grind out these results. We'd never get embarrassingly blown out or anything, but it would always be just the most uninspired, like, just completely by happenstance, like, kind of results that would be falling on our plate absolute loss of identity because like i don't even know how you describe um the off the ball tactics um while chris harvest has been a manager there has been none of that space manipulation or space compression that you I, saw while jesse marsh was here it's like eating a, a a fucking like just generic ham and cheese sandwich for lunch for like just like your entire life yeah no that's exactly what it was it was it was just completely anonymous uninspired soccer 
where we'd never we wouldn't win where we'd never win games or lose games based on like our own um accord right it was always just pure random happenstance that would get us there you know <laughs> and you know the simple fact of the matter is, is that you're not going to be in a position to win a lot of games if you're only going to be mustering about one goal a game for as long as we have you know it's it's not a winning formula to only be going to be able to put up about a goal, a game, at all, at all. And you saw that. You saw that basically. You saw the bottom fall out of that basically this year. You know, like yeah. against some of them, against a league ravaged by um, inconsistent play, right? Because nobody's been able to practice uh, consistently over the past few months. A league that is basically still in preseason mode, even though these are regular season games, playing what are essentially glorified friendlies because of all the personnel movement problems that are happening. Um, and you're still barely squeaking out results or getting binned by a bunch of high schoolers. Like, this is where we found ourselves. This is where we found ourselves. It was absolutely warranted, if you ask me. This was... Probably the best personnel move that they could have done, like, in a vacuum. It was always to bin the manager. Like, when you see how far standards have fallen over the last two years, like, how could anyone say that this wasn't a long time coming? You know, like, I don't think this was a surprise at all, right? Unless the basis of I don't assumption. know how anyone could have, been, could have possibly been surprised by this. Yeah, no, I mean, unless the base assumption here is, is that the club is content to just be an absolute afterthought in context of the league or in context of, a, yeah, in context of MLS, which I don't really think is a, is the case at all, right? If you saw the amount of uh, ambition that was going into this team, I think uh, about the what Ralph Ragnick wanted out of the club before he left, talking about how he wanted to have the new academy in New York developing like a Tyler Adams almost every other year. Like when you saw the amount of investment that was pumped into the academy and the lower league infrastructure to try and develop that pipeline, that domestic pipeline to MLS, like that was out of context. The fact that we spent the last five years of one of the lowest payrolls in the league contending at the top almost year in, year out from 2015 to 2018 while Jesse Marsh was still here. Like that is not the sign of a club that doesn't know what the fuck you're that that doesn't know what the fuck you're doing, you know. That is a club of a club that expects greatness from whoever dons the jersey, whoever steps over the white line in Harrison to play for this club at Ripple Arena, right? Like, and you could hear it all over Kevin Bellwell's press conference, right? Like talking about how not just the results, but the performances were unacceptable. You know, I think that's music to my fucking ears. You know, I mean, it shows that there is an expectation of how teams, players who wear this shirt are supposed to play. And he wants to restore that identity in Harrison. And he clearly saw, I think as many of us did, that Chris Armis was an inhibition on that. And he rightfully, confidently made the move to cut him and CJ Brown. It was a hundred percent a long time coming. Yeah, I mean if if <clears throat> you know one of the most interesting things about about his comments was he made a clear separation 
about results and performance. And I feel like this is something a lot of us have talked about, where it's not just about results. You hear all the all over all my fucking Twitter feed today was were and it's the last couple of days too, it was all this bullshit about, oh, you know, his record was better than Jesse after he took over. You know what? Suck my dick. Like seriously, like like take my pants off and just go to town. Because if you're a supposed soccer media person and you're gonna just remove any and all context to that, to a record, you have no business writing about that shit or no business talking about it. Alright? Yes, technically, Chris Armis did have a better record in his half of twenty eighteen than Jesse. But you have to be on some of the most amazing like CIA level fucking drugs to <laughs> to have seen both halves of that season and say, actually, yes, you know what? The team was better in the second half than the first. Because that's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. Like something like 10 or 11 of, of the 15 or 16 games of the regular season that Chris Armstrong took over were like one nothing. 1-1, like just games that we barely squeaked by. And on top of that, Jesse had three different competitions that he had to, he had to he had to worry about in the beginning. Yeah, Champions League, MLS, and the US Open Cup. Chris didn't have that. He he had the whole free reign of of, of the second half of the season all his. So for me, it was important for him to say that because, yes, it's not just about about squeaking by. Look, at the end of the day, result is the most important thing. And he, he did say that too. But you can't ignore the performance part. You can't – the goal for a club, for a, for, for a club with, with real fucking standards and goals and aspirations, real big club shit is not – I cannot wait to barely win today. I want to play – and maybe hopefully get by with a one nothing win. No. Big club shit for the last couple of years was I want to go to this game and I and by the end of this game, I don't just want to win. I want every single player to reconsider their careers. That that that's 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 the mindset that players should be going in there. I want to just fucking own shit. Play the game with some fucking pride. And we just haven't had that in the last couple of years under under Chris Armors. The team hasn't played with pride, and you can see it in the way they play. You can see it in in, in their faces. The like just it was just so so obvious. So seeing that it's not seeing him make these comments where again it's not just about winning. But he wants excellence. He wants a high standard. He wants this team to go in there, and he wants an expectation of winning. And not just just squeaking by. He wants a decisive victory. He wants his guys to put it all on the line every single game. And that to me is something that we've missed so much. Yeah, and, I mean, and 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 again, you, you could see it in the players' fit in, in, in the players' attitudes and when they carried themselves. They're just they lost that grit. They lost that like that killer instinct, man. You know, how many games in in in, in twenty eighteen under under Jesse, especially did we go up one goal, two goals? And you see them pressing harder. You see them pushing the line even tighter. You see them playing faster. You see there were games where Jesse would be pissed off at the half because they're only down two nothing. Because they should have been up four or five nothing. Get one, get four. Yeah, that that that's been our our our, our you know little inside motto for 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 it was or that used to be our motto for a while. Now you got 
fucking Chris Armas with a shit eating grin at halftime while you're getting your ass beat by a bunch of fucking kids. You have him bragging, bragging. He was literally talking shit at the end of that fucking uh, NYCFC game because of some weird bullshit, typical Sean Johnson play and a, and, and a VAR call that went our way. That's our standard? Really? Oh, yeah, cool. We, we won. Big fucking deal. It was embarrassing. Anyone who saw that game should have been fucking embarrassed with themselves. Those guys shouldn't have went to the locker like, oh, there you go, guys. Way to fucking go. You made Sean Johnson trip on his dick, and that's how we got points. No. That's a that's a huge decline. We, we, fuck, man. Those games in 2018 against NYCFC were, were peak. They were unbelievable. At, they were, I mean, if you were there and you experienced those games, I don't even have to describe what the fuck that felt. And now look. Now, now, now we have to, we have a manager gloating because because a, a ball landed weirdly to, to, to the keeper and we, we, we lucked out on a, a VAR call. Fuck off! That that's fucking that's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it went. It, it's been such a long time since I think we've heard anybody in any capacity talk about identity, talk about um, wanting this team to be aligned with uh, expectations that a global entity like ours places on how they expect all their teams to play. Right, we haven't heard anything from that superstructure, that infrastructure. Yeah, from that superstructure that we are supposed to be a part of. You know, instead we're supposed to be looking at uh, these really gritty wins or draws on the road against New England, or these really shitty win at home against NYCFC. Like we just fucking won the UEFA Champions League, right? Like, oh, apparently people like apparently like apparently complete like random moments of chance now. Are supposed to be like um, are supposed to be <laughs> signs that the manager knows like what the fuck he's doing, you know? Like yeah. people go qu- people go quiet. What was it? People get quiet when I people get, get quiet right. when I make the right calls. Yeah, it gets quiet yeah, when I make the right figure. calls, and it's like <laughs> really, dude. What what? So what was your call? So what was your call? Did your stupid little drill to have guys fucking kicking the ball in the box to players' hands to hopefully get a penalty to win? That, it, did that something like that finally work? Cool. Pat, pat on the back. That that's your fucking goal. I mean, High dude, school stupid bullshit. Dude, it's, it's basically the equivalent of like your toddler like coming to you with like his hands full of shit saying that, oh, I managed to wipe my ass. And then you go into the bathroom and there's shit all over the walls <laughs> and on the floor and in the shower and in the sink. That's basically what that result against <laughs> NYCFC was. You know, it was like someone making a fucking meal out of finally being able to get the shit out of his ass without realizing that he's gotten shit everywhere, you know, and you're supposed to be praising him for that achievement. Like it was some kind of fucking tactical masterstroke that <laughs> right? yeah. Johnson decided to have an oopsie and drop the ball in his own <laughs> net. Like it's fucking laughable. Okay. It's fucking unbecoming. Really? That's the <laughs> word I'm going to use. It's fucking unbecoming of anyone, <laughs> any semblance of any clue of what he wants to fucking do, you know, and to hear Kevin Thelwell come in and say, that basically, that there is an expectation of how this team is supposed to perform. That is just so good to hear. You know, no more of this gritty underdog. We gave it a valiant effort against a bunch of high schoolers, but it just wasn't meant to be at the end of the day. But I'm so <laughs> proud of the togetherness that we showed. Losing together against a bunch of 16-year-olds who probably went off and played Fortnite after the game. Like, dude, what? 
you know what you know what honestly really pissed me off the most out of out of his post post game conference was when he had the 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 audacity when he had the fucking balls to be like yeah you know now that we know i forgot even i'm blind i don't remember exactly how he said it because he's gonna piss me the fuck off all over again but basically what he said was essentially yeah like you know when teams bunker you know it's tough and now we know what to expect and like you know we, we have to we have to take some time to figure it out Motherfucker, you've had how many years now to figure that shit out? How many games? You've had 71 games to figure this bullshit out. Two seasons you've had to figure this out. Because that was his big shit from the beginning. We, we need this magic, this bullshit fucking plan B. The whole excuse for all of 2019 from all the Chris Armour's apologists and Chris Armour's himself was teams are bunkery. I don't know how to fucking, I, I, I don't know what to do. That was his big project. His whole project, his whole his his thing, his stamp on the team was supposed to be about getting the team to play better with possession and have them figure out how to break down bunkering teams. And I've said this before, and 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 I'm gonna say it again only because Bellwell did mention this at a press conference that you know he absolutely who whoever comes in needs to hold true to the identity of this club. That, that that's above everything. We did mention that with adjustments. And I I've said this from the beginning. I get it. Like I fine. You you not everyone's gonna be Jesse Marsh, right? Every, everyone's gonna have their own slightly different ways of, of of doing things under the context of of the identity. But the most important thing is stay true to that. As long as you get it done, that's all that matters. So if 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 his master plan was to figure was to actually do that. To get them better with possession and 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 maybe play the lower block sometimes and blah 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 and it worked, tip of the hat, that's fine. But it didn't fucking work. It hasn't worked for seventy fucking games. So now you're gonna have the balls to say in the in 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 fucking September of 2020, 70 plus games into your fucking tenureship, you're gonna say that now we need time to figure this out the fuck have you been doing for the last two seasons yeah i mean i, I remember some of these uh, supposed attempts at trying to solve bunkering teams like uh, the vancouver game at home last year where uh the strategy apparently was to pump a lot of crosses into the box and fish for handball penalties <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing man like like kick it up your hands like this is some kind of like second grade like anime shit you know i mean that's basically what it is it's it's just pure it's it's, it's that, that shit I that i do know. like when i'm playing soccer with my brothers like yeah like you like, know you, 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 to have a, a professional manager have a drill where you guys are basically setting crosses into your short attackers and just finding ways to possibly get a penalty by kicking the ball to their hands really that that's your tactical fucking plan come on man this isn't this isn't the the the, the, the late 1990s mls man We've we've far 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 advanced beyond that tin pot bullshit. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the deal, you know. I mean, uh, it, it, it was going to be a sig into this point that I wanted to make about this, you know. I think, where despite all this, is that, that Armis got let down by the investment that was placed in the team, or he wasn't given the leash <laughs> that he was uh, needed to figure out a winning formula for this team because uh, the team has apparently left him for dead, underinvested. 
um, has not brought him the kind of players that he needs to, uh, you know, succeed and develop a winning and develop a great strategy to take the league by storm. Like as if this guy isn't was like completely like a complete innocent bystander and has no say or no input at all into the personnel decisions that he makes weeks in, week out. Right? Like all of a sudden it's not because of Chris Armist that Kaku is inexplicably either being left out to dry in the wing or rotting on the bench in some cases. It's not because of Chris Armist that apparently um, all of our best players said that they wanted out last year because um, because of the inconsistency in tactical decisions, the inconsistency in man management, and the complete lack of a cohesive identity of how he wants them to play. Apparently, the manager doesn't have to have anything to do with Michael Amir Murillo saying, fuck this, I want out. Kamara Lawrence saying, fuck this, I want out. Aaron Long saying, fuck this, sell me to West Ham. Like, I, I don't see my future here. Like, apparently, yeah, and, the manager's decisions are completely divorced from this, from this, which I yeah, think is nonsensical. You know, again, like, mm-hmm. let's not pretend like the manager and the sporting director are completely pigeonholed roles, right? Especially when these two have been working together in a professional capacity for, I think, over two decades now. It's not like the manager doesn't not go to the sporting director's office and say, hey, look, these are the kinds of players that I want to bring in and vice versa, right? The sporting director is like, apparently, this day work completely, uh, in the minds of some people, they're completely, they're completely um, separate entities. The sporting director goes and buys players and just throws them at the manager and says, hey, make the most out of this. Turn Marcus Epps into a superstar or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And a manager's just supposed to sit there and take it. No. I mean, like, you cannot sit here and tell me that the manager does not have some semblance of say in the types of players that he wants to bring in to build this team around and vice versa, right? It is as much of an indictment of Dennis Hamlet. Don't get me wrong. But let's not pretend like these are completely separate roles that do not have, over, that do not have overlapping implications for one another. Okay, that's ridiculous to me. That's obscene. It's fucking ideology as far as I'm concerned. Okay, hey. And on top of this, like, if we want to talk about, oh, you know, we didn't spend big on replacements. Like, the whole point of this club was to develop those replacements from within, right? And that kind of falls mm-hmm. down in the management's inability to help players bloom under their tenureship, like at all. Like, you want to pretend, like, a Bradley Wright Phillips was supposed to be a major, like, splash when he signed. Like, as if he wasn't just a trialist that we signed midseason out of League One in England when he first came over here. How do you think he suddenly blossomed into the star that he is now? It was because he found himself in a good development situation with Thierry Henry. And, and he later developed his game, mind. After Petke was fired redeveloped his game in order to fit the Jesse Marsh high-pressing system when he was already pushing 30. BWB flat out said in an interview once that he learned more under Jesse Marsh than he ever did in England. Just want to point that out. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, apparently, the lack, the, the pipe, the internal talent pipeline drying up is somehow not supposed to be an indictment of the manager's inability ability to develop talent from within that can replace those stars that you let go. So apparently, um, Tyler Adams uh, filling in for Dax McCarty is not as... 
was just a thing that happened that was completely not at all down to the manager's ability to make to, to, to make those decisions to say when this player is ready he can step in and I can and he's going to fit into the system that I've developed it helps bring out his best attributes stuff like that yeah and, and I think that's a sorry about yeah, no, I was going to say, and apparently Kaku going from being on pace to smashing the assist record in 2018 to being, to forlornly pumping in crosses from the wing is supposed to not be an indictment of the manager not having a cohesive tactical system. Players being rotated week in, week out, almost at, almost inexplicably not supposed to be an indictment of the manager's ability to gauge talent and put together a coherent tactical system. None of this, apparently. Chris Armis is a complete bystander in all of this, according to some of you, and I don't really fucking get it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's uh, that's something that's very very important in, in this whole equation. You know, I feel like so for, for for starters, the anger that some people have sometimes with the whole you know we got rid of of our you know Adams, our best player in twenty eighteen, and 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 you know we didn't spend big on replacing him. Let's 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 dissect what you just said. You just you're angry because the team sold an academy player and didn't replace the academy player with a bigger name player. Instead, they reinvested that back into the same academy that developed the player that you're mad about that was sold and not replaced with the big name. Like do people just not sit that do some people just not listen to the things they say? You know, if you look at the history of when, when certain players were were sent out, like big players, and were replaced by what some people would say, you know, lesser players, whatever, it was always done with a plan. It was always an idea behind it. There was there was a structure, there was there was something. It was done for a reason. They sent out Dax, you know, club legend, and a big player for us. It was he wasn't like Sasha where like you can say definitively like okay his numbers were good but like he just still kind of didn't fit and, and and you could see he was kind of stylistically a problem with the team Dax was Dax I think Dax actually would have been fine and for for parts of 2018 I mean he would have been able to fully DS the way Adams was but that's kind of like the point the, the, the reason why he got rid of Dax was because we had Tyler Adams and he had Jesse's ability to plan these things out, but not just like, okay, here you go, have fun. But like, that kind of development is so much more than that. It's more than just giving the opportunity. The confidence that Jesse had in, in, in Adams and all these other players who, who they've called up was so high. That helps with their development, helps them, you know, be able to kind of take, take this new role uh, by storm. And it was, you know, there was some growing pains, of course, but he, he knew what potential he had, he knew what his long-term plan was, which also ended up being 2018. Sasha got rid of a, yeah, I wouldn't say he's a club legend, but he was a very, very, very good player for us, and he was a big reason why we won, why we won the Shield in, in 2015, and he was you know, responsible for, for quite a bit of, of our success. But getting rid of him made sense. Again, it was a plan. Gaku was that plan. And look what he, look what he theoretically would have would have given us if, if Chris didn't, uh, basically ruin him. And you can kind of go down the list of players where, again, any time there was a player jettisoned out, there was there was a reason for it. You don't see that anymore. BWP was 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 left on a fucking curb 
For what? What was the plan for him? What? Matthias, uh, he, he clearly wasn't ready. He spent all fucking year with, with, with USL. I feel like he finally started using him now, just maybe pressure for some reason. I, I honestly have no idea why he finally decided to start playing him now. But he spent all last year in USL. Really made no appearances with the first team. And and I, where, again, where was where was their plan for this? I, I, I don't, I, I feel like if if this is going to be a club that's going to be developing players and, and, and really looking internally to, to replace people, you have to have someone who's capable of making those, who's capable of planning these things out and executing it the right way. And Chris has failed miserably at that. Miserably. Look at, look at a boy, a, 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 a Christian. Come on, man. He was supposed to be the big, the big uh, 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 Adams replacement. Who ended up being the Adams replacement? Fucking Riza. Really? Shikovsky was he ended up being created the, the, the replacement for Adams. Not not because that was the plan, but that's because what Chris Armas wanted. And it just doesn't make sense. You know, you have someone like Omir Fernandez who basically who stepped into a hostile environment in a big game, Champions League, scored, and sat the bench the rest of the season. Didn't even at least have decency to let him get us get uh, to get some minutes with with uh, in USL. Really? You just left him, left him for dead, and instead you just you kept Royer just playing to do his usual Royer shit of just pulling shit out of his ass. You know what I'm saying? So like it's it's and he kind of continues again this year. Granted, he's playing a little bit more now, but for me, the before I start continuing rambling about this shit, ultimately the, for me the point is among all the shit that Chris has shown that he's just not capable of, probably the most damning was his inability to actually continue the development. Or the continuing the uh, the finishing touches to already develop players into a first team capacity, and instead insisting on using guys who really should just be filler guys. I'm sorry, Shakovsky was never really supposed to be a starter. Royer should have been should have been replaced at this point, or at least on his way out. And you didn't see any of that. Instead, you instead you have a team that's being built around those two guys. And to me, that's one of the most incriminating things. This yeah. team. Should not be the attack should not be built around these two guys, and it's been and it's been very clear that that's what his plan was. Well, I think when it comes to Riza and Royer specifically, I mean, I think uh, you touched upon this a little bit. You know, I think the most damning indictment of Chris Armas for me is the inability to identify the reasons why certain players were able to succeed in the tactical system, right, and putting them in roles that they either shouldn't have been playing or they hadn't been playing to begin with and expecting them to continue a sustained level of play that they had previously exhibited. You know, I think uh, this season, one of the clearest examples of that is putting Danny Royer as like the lone striker along which you're lumping long balls up to him and having the rest of the team try and play off of him. And the rationale for that is apparently because Danny can play a striker because he's our best finisher. without really understanding the reasons why he finds himself in positions to finish off those chances to begin with. Like anybody who's seen Danny Royer play the last like two or three years would tell you he's so much more effective the less he touches the ball. You have someone else opening up space for him. He makes those runs those runs into the far post, just bangs him in. You know, he can't create that space for himself. He can't, you know, he's not going to be able to be this guy who opens up space by combining or by peeling players off for him. No, he had Bradley Wright Phillips doing that for him with this movement, right? Same for Rizza, you know, like this guy is he, who, whose best attributes were conducive to the pressing system that we used to play, you know, like his intelligence and 
compressing space and moving around is now being expected to play as the main playmaker for the team. But he's never had incisive passing ability, right? He's never really been able to shuttle the ball as much either, so he can't open up drag players to him by dribbling with the ball from deep or anything. Because entire his value as a player is basically counterpressing and his ability to eat a function in that. And, you know, I mean, I think just to wrap up, a, to, to, to really just wrap up this segment, is that it's just abundantly clear that through the usage of players such as this, you know, I think they're victims of, uh, they're just as much victims, I think, of Chris Osarmus' inability to recognize what roles made those players so successful to begin with, and then shunting them off to do things that they weren't really cut out to do. You know, it's this it's, it's this expectation that all these things are inherent to them without realizing that they were placed in a position to shine because they were put in roles suited to their best attributes. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just magically move a player to like say CM to RM and then suddenly expect them to retain like his uh, overall rating like you do in FIFA. It doesn't work like that. You know, and it really seems to me that Chris Armas thought this was that sometimes that this was FIFA. You accumulate yeah. enough talent with 80, 80 overall ratings and you'll wax the league, apparently. No, it doesn't fucking work like that. Soccer doesn't work like that. You know, like, yeah. it's an expression. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex game and, you know, tactics are a complex thing. It's not, it's not easy. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, that when it comes down to it is you build teams based on the style and identity of the team that you want. And we have a roster, even still, that is not built for whatever bullshit he's trying to do. And so many players have regressed because they've been completely misused. And, I mean, look, positions and shit, like, that's all arbitrary. Formations are are, 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 bullshit. It's, It's what role do you have? What is your role? What are you supposed to be doing? What what is there's so much more to it than just where you are on on, on a you know on a fucking you know uh, on a piece of paper positionally, and we see that we 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 have been seeing that since even 2018 where you know just asking Gaku to slightly change where you know slightly change his role and 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 having him you know do certain things a little bit differently. It just completely ruined him. Having Brad now, Sully's having him, you know, drop back more instead of being, you know, further up the field. I mean, we've said this a million times. I feel like we, we've, we've said this at least a thousand times in the last two fucking years, but um, an entire roster doesn't just decide to start sucking. It doesn't happen. No, it, it literally does not happen like that. And if you go down the line, pretty much every single fucking player has seen a regression under the management of Chris Armis. And I don't even I don't even understand why some people even try to debate that. Yeah, there could be a little bit of nuance for certain players and blah 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 blah. But forget twenty nineteen. You could see that in twenty eighteen. Literally, the to the game that he took over. We're talking exact same roster in the exact same year, exact same season that they were steamrolling through the league in just just straight up big fucking EDS fashion. And all of a sudden now, 
the guy who was on pace to break and not just the overall assist record, but also the direct assist record. You have a club legend who at his age was actually on pace for a career season because of the amount of not just goals, but also assists he was getting. You had Long and Parker who basically threw themselves into the U.S. men's national team spotlight because of how well they did. You had Amir who was just doing Amir things. Tax who was having just an insane season himself. All of these people, poof, just, they just, they all just regressed at the same fucking time. Like, really? How does that not come down to the fucking manager? And we've been repeating that for years now, and, and no one has ever been able to give a viable answer for that. And when you see these guys from season to season to season, having a role slightly tweaked, you have Etienne playing coming in as a fucking fullback. I mean, all this weird shit that we've seen, especially this year, it's like you can't tell me with a straight face that these players are being put in a position to succeed. I am 100% for the idea that, yes, players have to bear responsibility. No doubt. But I, I can't judge a player when they're just not being used the right way. It just it doesn't make fucking sense. It doesn't. You know, I you asked me... I, you asked me to, 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 to make a painting or some shit. Don't judge me on it because I'm not a fucking artist. You know, there's certain things certain people can do, certain positions, certain roles, certain characteristics that they, 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 that they may not have for certain roles. And again, if you go down the whole fucking roster for the last two years, it's been a shit show. You have guys who are proven players all of a sudden playing like shit. And I, I'm sorry, that's just not a coincidence. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, this kind of relates to a question that we received in the mailbag today. Uh, thanks, everybody, for sending in a question as usual. Uh, and thanks for hanging in there during our um, coronavirus-imposed hiatus. But this comes from Ed Ritter, regular contributor. Thanks for the question, Ed. Let's assign blame percentages to the front office, Armis, and players. And I think we'll be using this just to put it just to kind of um, use this as the conclusion to just summarize everything that we were just discussed in this segment you know i think um the players okay sure some of them were probably weren't really cut out for mls level but it's not really too much of their fault i think when the art when the manager's decisions have been impeding their ability to execute roles that they excel in for reasons that we just discussed right um, they probably deserve some semblance of blame i guess because you know i think some players have definitely not been pulling their weight. Tim Parker is a pretty prominent example, in my opinion. Um, some other players just maybe just aren't good enough to take on heightened roles. Maybe Sean Davis, unfortunately, I would probably lump in that category. But ultimately, it's a product of just absolutely incomprehensible decisions, I would say, that come from the combination of your sporting director and your manager. And again, like let's like again to reiterate something that I said earlier. Let's not pretend that these are separate entities here. Like these are guys who are supposed to be working in conjunction with each other to develop a team and develop an identity that is in line with what Red Bull Global as a global entity wants all their teams to play. And when you look at the body of work that's been produced since 2018, you can't really say that they've succeeded at all in accomplishing that. So I'd probably say. Um, because of that, it's 100% on the FO and Armis, specifically. Dennis Hamlet and Chris Armis, it's 100% on them. Okay, no, it's not 100% on them. I would probably say it's 80% on them. Because then I'm also going to have to go throw 20% to Red Bull themselves. 
and I'm going to be very honest when I say this, for letting mm-hmm. the rot sink in as much as they have and being okay with letting that rot sink in and only now saying that we've had enough, we're going to bring in Kevin Dewell and he's going to cut all the driftwood now. Credit to Red Bull for finally getting it straight, I guess, and giving us more autonomy over our own destiny by bringing in a guy like Kevin Dewell. But you also cannot absolve them, I don't think, for initially letting the situation get as bad as it did. I'm glad that they finally stepped in. I'm glad that they finally recognized that there was an issue with the New York club and did the right thing. Cut Armis and probably reorganized the back room. But yeah, I mean, really, I think it's primarily on Dennis Hamlet in front office and Chris Armis in the manager's seat for just not having that vision of what they want this club to achieve and not taking the requisite steps towards achieving that at all. Yeah, I, I'm going to go – I mean, I, I have to, of course, blame – you got to give some blame to the players. I mean, you know, should Barlow have scored a couple of times against DC? I'm glad he didn't. But, yes, he should have. But, I mean, at the same time, is Barlow – should Barlow be our first-choice striker? Absolutely not. I don't think he should. I don't even think he should be our second-choice striker. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certain um, – yeah, these are still professional athletes, right? They they should still be able to do certain things, but I feel like there's a difference between missing what's probably uh, what what should be a clear cut scoring opportunity, or uh, mismarking of a, a player while while defending on an individual level, and it just being a consistent problem, but also a problem that's a res- that's a result of just piss poor tactics and then just not being put in the right position to succeed. Now, I mentioned I don't think Barlow should be a first or second, you know, rate strike, uh, first or second choice striker. But at the same time, I do think he could be a decent striker for us if he's used the way he should be used. He has very specific skill sets. And if you're not playing to those advantages, well, I can only blame him so much because, again, He's not being put in a position to uh, succeed. Sean Davis is probably the biggest example. I think of if I were to think of all the players that's been fucked the most, I'm pro. I would probably have to put him in a top three because asking him to cover the amount of ground that he's being asked to cover, ask him to play the role that he's been playing, is just flat out unfair to him. He's physically incapable of doing a lot of things that Chris seems to want him to do. But he's still a good player. I think he would be a better player for us if he was used the right way. And he's simply not. Same thing with the guy next to him. You know, the guy who was supposed to be the uh, the, the the Adams replacement. This guy was talked up by Wally and, 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 uh, uh, and Jesse very heavily. And he's another one. Maybe his ceiling is not as high as we thought. Maybe he's not as good of a player as we as we thought, but he's still, I think, a very good player. He's still very smart in his positioning and and all the things that I feel we've talked about him in the past. But he's still not being used in the right position. He's still not being used in the right role. So yeah, he should get some blame for certain things on maybe some certain you know individual moments. But he's again, he's not being put in the best position to succeed. Tim Parker, another one. He's he's not a traditional center back. He's great if you just want just some guy to just like, you know, emergency to defend and, and tread that fine line of breaking their legs and 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 you know, 
just getting a good tackle. That he's perfect for that. But you can't ask someone like Tim Parker to sit back. You can't ask him to 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 defend in a in, in a in a in a low block. He's just not that kind of no. He just can't do it. Obviously, he can't. Like the, the the list goes on and on and on. I mean, look at Amir. Amir was always not the greatest defender, especially in emergency defending. But you didn't see that hole as much because you never had to. When especially in the beginning of twenty eighteen, when when Jesse was there, one because he spent so much time playing so far up the field, and we spent so much time up there because we were just fucking good. But they were you just you just didn't need to see that from him. All of a sudden, now you're asking him to sit back a little more, to be more of a traditional defender. He just doesn't have that skill set. He's going to look more exposed. I, I can keep fucking going. So, yes, players should be should be held accountable for piss-poor individual moments, and a lot of the players have had that. But overall, when they're not being put in a position to succeed, I can only blame them so much on the greater scheme of things. Like you mentioned, yes, Red Bull should definitely be held responsible. I feel like he should have been let go before the season started. Now, because Red Bull is this big, you know, enigma, and and I don't think anyone has any fucking clue how the structure ever actually was, and 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 how involved uh, uh, certain people were. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they. Maybe Jesse gave them his confidence. Say, yeah, no, these guys, they've been with me for four and a half season, for four and a half seasons. Uh, you know, Dennis has been my assistant, uh, my assistant coach. He's been, he's been a sporting director. He's been with me for blah, blah, blah. He knows the kind of players that we should have. You know, Chris has basically led a lot of training sessions. He's been, uh, uh, and actually he's had to fill in for me when I've gotten suspended. They should be okay. I could see them say, okay, fine. Well, there you go. This is your team now, guys. And just seeing shit completely fall apart and figuring, you know what, maybe 2020 will make some changes. And that kind of is what happened. We started seeing some, some uh, you know, back-end sporting side changes at the beginning of the season. Um, and then uh, Fell came in. So I do give them credit for finally, you know, making making the changes and 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 who knows maybe they they just figured that they would be able to to handle things better than they have but it is frustrating that they did let the rot get as bad as it did i he really should have been let go before the end of last season you you just can't i mean I, maybe, maybe he earned himself a little bit of 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 a, of a leash because of how he finished up 2018 i guess but yeah you know they 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 let things they let the fire burn a little bit too long i think before they finally made a decision but i will give them credit for for making some very good decisions this year um but ultimately man the overwhelming majority of the pro, of, of the blame has to go to chris armis and i'm going to give part of that part of that blame too on dennis cuz he just seemed like he was kind of out of his element without the guidance of jesse but Game time, tactical decisions, roster decisions, all that stuff, that comes down to one person, man. One person and one person only. And when you have spent your entire tenure as a manager just consistently tripping on your own dick and always making wrong decision after wrong decision, perplexing decision after perplexing decision, how is it not his fault, man? How is it not his fault? Who who else? 
Am I going to blame Dennis for benching Gaku? Under the bullshit reasoning that, oh, yeah, we, we need to play a little dirtier. We, we actually need to press a little bit more today. Gaku is not only the, the, the most individually talented player on the team, but he's actually statistically like the best pressing player pretty much in the league, statistically speaking. So where did you actually reach that justification? You have a stats person, you have a data, you have a, you have an analyst who I'm sure gave him that information. You just did he just didn't he didn't he didn't give a fuck. Clearly he didn't give a shit. So when you have a manager basically going rogue on your identity, going rogue on the importance of, of, of player development and, and putting the finishing touches on maybe some of the older guys who aren't quite, you know, youth development type of players, but still relatively young. And just basically just making a complete fucking mockery of the club. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's your fucking fault. You gotta go. And thankfully he he's gone. All right. Um, so I think uh, one other question related to Chris Armis uh, to wrap this all up. If Chris Armis fails to reach the playoffs, could you see us finally firing him from RBENY Network Instagram? And well, you know, I think we all know the answer to that now. And I'm very glad to put a bow on it. Uh, Armis is gone. We hopefully have all these days put behind us. So instead, now let's have a look towards the future. I think, because uh, I think um, it's clear that this was a power move, right? Someone's made his uh, bones in a very big way as a result of this personnel decision. And it's pretty clear, like, who's the man in charge in New York now? And it's his name. And his name is Kevin Delwell formerly of Wales and Wolves, and he's going to be the head honcho here in New York. And I think, um, you know, at this point, like a pretty deep cleaning is going to be needed. Like you should probably clear out quite a fair bit of the back room and then just let whoever the permanent hire like uh, is, let him bring in, like I think his own technical staff. Because I really think it's a bit of a poison chalice at this point. Like uh, people have been too... The rot set in a bit too deep. I would think uh, you'd probably need to clean very, very deeply and just hit a hard reset. You know, I think uh, that's what it should be going forward. It should be a hard reset led by Kevin Delwell and his uh, vision for the team and bringing us a bit closer and back in line with how Red Bull Global expects his teams to play. Right. And I think a very appropriate question for this, of course, is uh, coming from. Ed Rue, Rupongi3K on Twitter. Thanks for the question, Ed. Who would you want to see take over for Armis if he's ever fired? Right, and I think this is a this is a really big open end question because a lot of who the next permanent hire is going to be, right, is going to be determined a lot by how Kevin Thelwell envisions his team to play, and based on the moves that he's made so far, right, with bringing in Drew Yearwood. And a synergy signing, bringing in Samuel Tete from a Red Bull Salzburg on loan. I think it's pretty clear that we expect to be moving back in the direction that we've seen. You know, I think we can expect to play a style similar to Leipzig and Salzburg once again. You know, even though I think uh, <coughs> Leipzig themselves don't really play that all-out hardcore high press that Salzburg does under Jesse Marsh. Or we did under Jesse Marsh, but nevertheless, counter pressing and the manipulation of space is central to both teams' identities, right? Even though the Nagelsmann style of press is more mid block level traps, where you're manipulating space to coax 
um, the opposition to be passing the ball into certain parts of the pitch, where then you trigger the press, as opposed to triggering the press from the get-go, like way high up the pitch, right? I think that'd be fair to say. So the main question for me then is does Stelwell want us to play more like Salzburg or does Stelwell want us to play more like Leipzig, you know? Or do we play some, um, you know, I think some some hybrid of the two, you know? I think that if you look at it, the only other club that we have to potentially compare ourselves to, Red Bull Brazil very much play, you know, like a like a very high, hard, high-pressing system in the Brazilian Campeonato. I would expect... That that, or whatever they're called? Yeah, exactly. I would expect that, though, that we would be returning some of that to our shores. You know, I think, uh, I think uh, you see how Drew Yearwood plays. Very much a very physical player in the center of the pitch going to be restoring a lot of uh, the pressing I think that was missing since Tyler Adams moved over to uh, Germany. You know, I think those are indications that we should expect things to be ramping up in that direction again. And so when it comes to answering this question about who takes over for Armis, I don't think it's going to be a Red Bull Global retread. I would think it'd be someone who's on their radar it would be someone on the Rolodex, it would be someone on the network, but I don't think he's currently either managed a Red Bull team before or currently with a Red Bull team to begin with. It's going to be someone on like that Paderborn radar at Leipzig, probably someone from Thelwell's Rolodex while he was at Wolves or Wales. I mean, there's a whole ton of possibilities. But I do, we do know for certain that based on the circumstantial evidence that Whoever he brings in is going to want to fit that mold that Thelwell wants, right? Us playing in line with the Leipzig or Salzburg. And that is who I think will ultimately be taking over for Chris Armas. I think it's going to be someone pulled from Europe who fits that bill. I don't have a name. I don't know where he's going to come from. But I do know that I think it's probably going to be that. I don't think it's going to be internal promotion for Wallenek either. He's fine at Ripple too. So yeah, that's my read on the situation. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a single person who's going to get this accurate. Um, I, really, I really think it's going to be just kind of some random person, uh, you know, maybe from his, like you said, his Rolodex uh, when he was with the Wolves, which would be cool. I mean, that's, you know, one advantage of, of, of having him in charge here is it's not just a Rebel Rolodex, right? We have a whole set of, of other connections of his own that we could that we can look uh, we can look uh, we can look forward to which is great and i feel like that's a huge advantage of them not just plucking somebody from within uh their existing structure when it came time to uh you know to, to put someone else in charge here um so yeah I, mean, I can see it being somebody from you know i was i don't know maybe a championship in england or or maybe you know the the bundesliga two or some shit it's it, it's going to be someone that no one really knows but what I will say is, whoever it is, I mean, I'm probably going to give a lot of immediate support. I mean, I would anyway, I think. But it's good knowing that – it's good knowing what he's going to be looking for. And what he's going to be looking for is really what, one, I think we expected Chris Armas to be. Um, and definitely what we kind of just expected our club to have. 
uh, to kind of continue the identity. Um, it's it's going to be for me the most important thing is is it's got to be someone who buys in. They have to buy into the identity because that's what made Jesse so special. He became uh, obsessive almost over this project, over the philosophy and the identity of of how of of how the, the organization as a whole, you know, Rebel Global Soccer wants to play. And he kind of like really took that really deep into his heart, and he's and he's I and mean, we saw what he, we see what he's we saw what he did with us, and we see what he's doing with Salzburg. Um, we need someone like that, and I hope it's it is it ends up being someone like that. We'll never have another Jesse. That's fine. It doesn't have to be. I don't I don't expect you know them to 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 find a carbon copy of him, even if it's not stylistically. We don't have to go full on, you know. Just balls to the fucking wall the way it was with Jesse. It, it's fine. I'd be okay with a hybrid of the two. I just want to win, and I want to win well, and I want to win decisively. I want to be proud of this team. I want to feel like this team is going for the blood every single time. And we have a decent roster. We really do. The question is, will this manager comes in uh, going to instill that confidence and and that that fight that we just don't have anymore? You know, there's almost like a, this weird level of almost self pity. With with this team under under Chris, like you know, a bunch of lovable losers, and that's pretty fucking whack, you know. So yeah, I, I don't know who the hell it's gonna be. I don't think anybody does. Double sure as hell doesn't know right now. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be someone we've never heard of. But he certainly sounds like he has a very clear picture of the type of manager he wants here. And if he gets that person, then I think I think we're gonna we're gonna do pretty well. Even if there might be a little bit of a you know, transition period, but I, 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 if he gets his guy, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, and I think I want to take an A side for a moment to talk about. I think the implications, right, of having a former Premier League level executive coming in and running the show on the sporting side of things, because I think you talk about a Rolodex that is impressive, and then you compare it to the types of talent that Wolves have been bringing in uh, over the past few years. I mean, you know, I mean, the implications of that are staggering. Right, like uh, having a direct line to Jorge Mendez, for example, is not something you could shrug off. You know, especially from a player recruitment angle. Like, um, because of that, like you know, like it, it, I, I genuinely have to say, you know, like the actions of today, Thelwell basically stamping his mark on the team, is probably the most excited I've been about this club since Kaku landed at JFK Terminal Eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. No, I agree, hundred percent. That is true. It's a turning of a page. It's the dawn of a new era, and the man writing the book going forward is probably, on a credentials basis, one of the most impressive guys to ever join the organization. You know, yep. the sporting side of things, not just in terms of his uh, technical expertise. You know, developing the coaching system in Wales, right? Helping Wales become a fantastic state-of-the-art national team program. It's helping um, with the back of uh, some Chinese benefactors, of course, in Fosun, helping Wolverhampton Wanderers becoming a upper Premier League table mainstay. Okay, I mean, like, sure, you can talk about, like, uh, oh, Wolves had an abundance of resources as a result of the wealthy benefactors. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I think you still have to make the most out of the money that you're given. You know, you're not going to go out there and blindly spend cash. 
and, and expect all of it to fall into play, right? We've seen too many big money flops over the years, not just in MLS, but in um, soccer in general, right? I still remember people talking about Andre Shevchenko moving to Chelsea in 2004 and how he was going to wax the league as a result of that $30 million price tag. It doesn't always work like that, right? The price tag does not always justify the player. We've seen that way too many times. Even if you have an abundance of resources, you still need to buy smart. And I think that's something that we've seen Wolves do, right? I mean, uh, okay, sure, they've, they've had a massive advantage by being able to tap in on Jorge Mendes' extensive network of Portuguese players. But nevertheless, like um, the fact that they managed to build on that the moment they stepped into the Premier League as well, I mean, that's not something that should be lost in people. That is a lot easier said than done. You know, building the groundwork for that going on. Yeah. So because of that, um, because of that, you know, again, like the next few months are going to be months that everyone should be watching with keen intent to see the direction that we're headed with. You know, because I think this guy's proven that he's he's capable of recognizing talent and putting it together in a in context of a cohesive tactical system, in case of club identity. And when you have that holistic top to bottom experience as to how a club should be running, you know, how it's hard not to feel excited, you know, because that's the verticality that Jesse Marsh used to talk about. That's about having that top to bottom pipeline that used to be the central ethos of that, of this club. And now we're ramping it up to a greater degree. It seems, you know, I think, um, Ultimately, what I want to say is, is, you know, this guy has proven that with a great amount of financial resources, he's already capable of doing great things. You know, he doesn't fall for overbuying hype players for the sake of buying overhyped price players. He's not going to be dropping 120 million pounds in Neymar just because he can or whatever shit. He's going to build something that's not only impactful, but I think also lasting potentially. You know, he's got the credentials to back it. And we should be, maybe, you know, this ends up, uh, you know, I mean, of course, there's always going to be some things that throw a wrench into the plans. Maybe, you know, MLS regulations do end up becoming a bit too hindering to develop that kind of thing. But at least we have someone at the helm who has a track record of developing the kind of infrastructure that I think Red Bull Global wants for this team. You know, and having he's been given the autonomy to build that. We should, I think, be extremely supportive of that. It may not be the best case scenario. It might be the worst case scenario. But I certainly do think that the future, the outlook looks brighter now that you have someone as decisive as he is in charge because it indicates that we're building towards something. We may not necessarily know what it is, but it's clear that there is a vision and we're going to be building towards that over the next few months. So, you know, I mean, I'm going to be keenly just watching what transpires over the next few months. Yeah, I mean, if, for one, it feels great that there is an actual real tangible plan again, because that, that's another thing that's been uh, uh, missing greatly. It's, it's, been a run, it's been a rudderless shit for a while now. Um, couldn't really tell what direction the team was going. Now, like I mentioned before, you see some of these guys coming up through the pipeline, coming up through RB2, whatever, and you're kind of just left shrugging your shoulders with, with a lot of decisions he, he's made because it's like, okay, you know, 
you you have almost an expectation of where certain career paths would be going, and he just you know makes these decisions that just kind of goes against that. Which leads me into what you mentioned about um, uh, building a foundation. I think low key the most impressive thing about Thelwell is he really took the first couple of months to really, really, really make big changes to the academy level. Um, there's been some good changes to the academy and the academy side. I mean, besides the fact that yeah, we actually have an academy director now, which is pretty fucking cool. We didn't have that all last year. Um, but just structurally, things have changed there. Uh, and to me, that, that shows a, a, a good sign that he, like you had mentioned, you know, foundation, this is supposed to be a club that is big on development and promoting guys within our academy. And, you know, we're seeing more and more, uh, we've seen an expansion of our academy and bringing guys in, not just, you know, from, from local guys, but bringing from you know, bringing people from across the country, overseas, whatever, into, into the academy. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it's it's refreshing and it's very positive to see that he found the the academy and that pipeline to be as important as it was, where he really made a big focus. The first thing he did was basically completely realign, reshuffle, and, and do his best to strengthen that part of the club. That is massive. It is very important. And then it was okay, you know. Maybe not end then. I'm sure he was watching things, of course, at the same time. But obviously he got to a certain point where, you know, the first team just really wasn't doing good enough. But yeah, I mean it's it's good to see it's good to see a plan again. You know, I, I can say I can say for now at least, I think relatively confidently that um perhaps what we thought the quote unquote system was was different. I do think you can say that there was a system in place, and there was um, there was a genuine identity that the club should have been should have carried along even after Jesse did. But I think on a high level, this shows that if you put the wrong cog, any part of that system, it's going to fall apart. And I'm hoping that by replacing and fixing those cogs, we can kind of get things chugging along. Um, things will, things will always be different from manager to manager, and even from sporting director to sporting director. I mean, shit. Look at fucking Salzburg. They've gone through a million different managers. They've gone through a couple different uh, 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 sporting directors, but they've still maintained the heart and soul of that of of their identity and their ethos. And I I always felt that we would see that as well. Um, and we did it, you know, and I, but I, but I, I think it's clear that Red Bull expected that, that Red Bull expected the, them continuing, you know, kind of where, where Jesse left off. Yeah, sure. Some things might be a little bit different, but that's okay. Because again, the expectation would be that the, the identity of the club would continue and certain things would continue and it hasn't. And if you listen to Devil's comments, it's very clear that that is in fact the case because for most of for for most of the uh, the the the, uh, the interview there the press conference he wrote heavily about talking about the importance of the club's identity and style of play so we don't know like you mentioned before we don't know exactly how far or what direction that'll be will it be like Salzburg will it be like Leipzig something in between but it's still refreshing to know that it, it's not going to be Armour's wall at the very least 
Yeah, I think it's a good thing to remember. I think uh, you touched on it just to wrap this up before we move on to the questions. That, yeah, I think like you mentioned, you know, the system's not always going to be the system. It's not always going to be the system's not always going to be what we have previously seen to be the system. It's not always going to be balls to the wall, high pressing. It's not always going to be what it was under Jesse Marsh. But, you know, I think as so long as a cohesive identity is being built towards as we transition from personnel to personnel, that's something that we should be encouraged by. You know, it's no one should expect anyone to stay on top forever. You know, like the, the way soccer works is very cyclical. There are going to be changes to the meta. But so long as we continuously adapt to that, and we have someone who recognizes that and continuously sets this club up for success by reinventing ourselves and finding the right pieces to help us execute that, great. I hope that well is that guy. Let's move on. Looking forward. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that brings us to, I guess, the questions, I think, to round out this episode. We'll get around to the rest of them real fast. Uh, so let's go around the room in the Twitter mentions. Um, beginning with Alex Chang, view from 202 host. Thank you at the Chang Bang for this question. What is Lens's generation one starter Pokemon? Second question, why would Charmander be better than Chris Armis as head coach? Yeah, I mean, I did choose... Okay, I mean, uh, confession time, when I was a kid, I chose Bulbasaur because that was easy mode, right? Like, you could beat Brock and Misty pretty easily if you just knew Vine Whip and just spam that shit. But sentimentally speaking, yeah, Charmander rips, you know. And I choose Charmander whenever I replay one of those generation games now. And Charmander would be a better head coach than Chris Armis, just simply because, like, uh, I don't know about his tactical acumen, but definitely at press conferences, the potential of potentially using flamethrower on some person asking a really stupid-ass question would be great. You know, like you're literally roasting them, the flames that you shoot out of your mouth. That fucking rules. Chris Armas could never do that. Chris Armas can't even evolve, dude. That's a sad thing. Chris Armas has never evolved. He's a one-stage Pokemon. What a fucking loser. He's gone anyway, so it's whatever. Um, so next question coming from Patrick Delwan. Asking, why doesn't the manager send birthday cards to you so you so you could be nicer to him and see him for the brilliant mind that he is? Um, I don't want Chris Armis knowing my birthday. I think... Um, <laughs> so it's okay. I mean, I'm not really too plussed about it, to be honest with you. Uh, and anyway, I think uh, knowing how he treated people who were dissing him online, right? Like when they met him at the fan meet and greet, eat, where you got to take photos with the team and shit. Like he'd probably like send me like anthrax in the mail as like a birthday gift or something. <laughs> but, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with Chris Armisen sending me anything in the mail. But thanks for the question, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, y y he only sends stuff to, uh, you know, old head uh, Amsoc fucking media people so they could defend him to, 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 to his fucking death. Alexei Lawless, man, and Taylor Twelman, like, united in, I don't know, like, whatever. <laughs> Defending the old I, or whatever. That, that is, that was just, that was something else. I mean, I, I kind of expect 
not the usual stupid shit from you know a lot of the 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 more local media guys to just kind of parrot the usual fucking stupid you know they're cheap they haven't spent 40 million dollars on you know fucking two players bullshit we're in new york you know the new york market blah we need to spend all the money it's like i expect that it's, it's nothing new i was just slightly surprised to 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 see that kind of creep up now into a more uh national spotlight which i'm sure probably pissed off uh, uh too I really wouldn't be surprised if, if that random weird last like two days of all this fucking it's definitely Red Bull's fall, Chris's Chris's innocent bullshit kind of just set him off and was like, Yeah, actually you know what? Fuck all this shit. He's gone. But yeah, it was it was kinda gross and, and I was I, I expect that from Wallace. Um I, I expect always the absolute most garbage takes from him. I was a little surprised by, by Twelman. I expect at least a little bit more nuance. Uh, in his discussion, other than, you know, Rebel or Cheap, how dare you blame Chris Armas, but whatever, of all of them. Kind of relates uh, to the next question sent from uh, the one, the, Itoli, the only, the notorious SASS, Alexander Sassaroli. Thank you for the question, Alex. Do you think the RBNY fan base is uniquely stupid, or are we pretty average? <laughs> I am thinking specifically about the huge segment of fans and media who think a proven incompetent manager deserves to be defended. You know, I think this is related to Ives' bizarre think piece, I think, a few days ago that dropped like literally the day before he was fired. And... When I really think about it, I don't think we're necessarily dumber than the average fan base, but we certainly do have like a unique breed of like stupidity, right? That's kind of like <laughs> in some certain sort of the fan base. Okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be I'm gonna distinguish this quite frankly. I don't think everyone in this fan base is a dumbass, but in the dumbass like portion of this fan base, like I think it's definitely rooted in this New York chauvinism. Right, that because we're this big media market, we should be spending flashy. We should be bringing in all these big name players. We should be flexing our financial muscle. Right, basically, they want us to be the Showtime Knicks. I don't want us to be the Showtime Knicks. You know, I, I like the last five years of watching this team play for that reason because it's less. It's building sustainable winning on infrastructure that is meant to continue success through the generations. Ideally, anyway. We got shown by Chris Armas that that's not always the case, but at least you'll have that pipeline built out, you know? But, you know, I think because of that, like, we, we, we kind of have to get over this ethos in a way, right? And I realize it's mostly these Gen X dudes as well, right? Who grew up in the 90s, have this, you know, idea that they were like the coolest fucking cats in the face of the planet and haven't really grown out that mindset. Like... Guys, you kind of have to get over yourselves a little bit. You know, I mean, like, you don't always have to be the center of the world in New York. You know, New York should definitely not be seen as the center of the world. There is no archetype to how a New York team should be or how they should behave. If it results in sustainable winning over a prolonged period of time, like it did between 2015 and 2018, that's great. Don't spend all that money. Find ways to win on a reduced payroll. And on the topic of payroll, like, I mean, I don't know why the question has never been, wow, look, this team spends so little. Maybe they should spend more and they'll win more. Instead of saying, wow, how is this team achieving success 
in spite of the fact that they spend less than other teams. I don't, yep. I don't like the evolution of the discourse in that sense. I mean, I, I don't get it. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, I think that mindset results in people asking the wrong questions. And we kind of need to rethink the way that we approach sports as a result of that. You know, we've seen so many examples where just spending more in a vacuum doesn't always yield the success that you want. Like, did you not see what happened with Pity Martinez in Atlanta? Apparently, they conned the Saudis into making a profit off of him. But look, that was a pretty big flop, right? $50 million for that level of production? You could say he was hampered by Frank DeBoer, but there's a reason why the guy was 25 years old and still playing in Argentina. If he was that good, he would have been snapped up a long time ago. You know? Same with Ezekiel Barco. Like, can you say that he are probably going to turn a profit on him at the $16 million that they blew on him? I don't know. Money's not always going to solve all your issues, you know? So I'm perfectly okay with uh, not spending big if it doesn't mean that we don't win, you know? I don't want us to be the Knicks. Yeah. I don't want us to be the Mets. That's how it is. Yeah, I, I don't think our fans are necessarily uniquely stupid. I think our fans are uniquely insecure. Or a certain portion of the fan base is uniquely insecure because we have we have a portion of the fan base, and I'm saying this as like non douchey as possible. This is this is just an uh, an analysis, but I feel like we have a certain portion of the fan base that's that's older that were around at the beginning of of MLS who have a certain view of where they thought the league would be. And because of that New York market bullshit, they had a certain vision of what specifically this team would eventually be because we are New York. So then the fact that we haven't won the MLS Cup, um, that in itself makes uh, the, the level of anger, I think, a bit unique in the league in terms of the fan base. Um, but the fact that we do live in the New York market and there is this expectation of uh, what they felt the, the team should be, these big spenders, you know, we should be spending like the Yankees and the Mets and blah, 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 or whatever the fuck. You know, we should be front page of the post sports section. Like there, there, I feel like there's certain expectations that that fan, portion of the fan base has had. And we just simply have not met that. And worse, I say worse from their perspective, worse is the the team doubled down on being the antithesis of that. In 2015, it was actually, no, we are definitely not going to overspend the way we did before. We are explicitly not going to bring in the big names. We are going to uh, spend as a quote-unquote smaller market uh, uh, smaller market club we're basically going to be doing all the things that you all hate oh and on top of that we're going to play a style of, of soccer that you're definitely not going to understand at all even after five years and on top of that you're definitely going to hate it because you're probably going to think it looks ugly so there's all these things put into a pot and i think they just feel very insecure and they don't understand it because they don't understand it they hate it and that just makes them all sound like a bunch of grumps like straight up just a bunch of old angry fucking old people and it's boring and it's like just please stop it and if you look at most of the most vocal people with that mindset 
it's kind of all the old man. Even in a media side, it's all the same bullshit. You know, you have people who who get paid to cover this team and kind of ride on the same insecure bullshit all the fucking time. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I think it's more unique insecurity than it is unique stupidity. Although we definitely have some extremely fucking stupid people in this fan base. And I feel bad saying that, but you go to one specific group on Facebook and you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> We don't acknowledge those folks on this podcast. Uh, yeah. um, okay, next one coming from Toby Chalk. Could Chris Armis beat FIFA Mike at FIFA? Well, Toby, if this game were to happen, I'm pretty sure everyone would lose. You know, it would somehow result in a singularity opening up and everyone dying. <laughs> so, um, you know, he probably could, but it. Knowing Chris Armis, like he's gonna probably end up like starting to play FIFA, and then the game's gonna end in like two K. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like somehow halfway through, like he thinks he's playing basketball, so he's like pulling up from like forty yards and letting it rip. So, and then one of them is basically gonna go in because FIFA Mike sucks. <laughs> you know, what's the worst part about the fact that that is probably the least desirable thing I would ever want to watch. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely. Is- Chris Armis would definitely pick like Barcelona or fucking Real Madrid or some corny <laughs> fucking generic shit like that. No, he'd choose like the classic XI. Yeah. Like, well, you talk about real players. These guys were real grit. You know, they had determination. <laughs> like, Chris, <laughs> it's more of a grit and determination that these guys reached the top, buddy. I don't know. Like, <laughs> did, did he, like did he, he actually said it more than once, but he's like, He's cited and brought up like some fucking garbage like possession team recently, like a couple of times, and it's like, dude, this is why you're gonna get fired. He he probably fucking they'll probably heard that shit while listening to like I don't know while just eat drinking tea or some shit and just like heard that and it was like, excuse me, possession Barcelona, what the fuck do you think you are? And then lost to teenagers and that was it. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, goodness. I'm trying to pass your way through a bunch of high school sophomores and not being able to do that, man. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> this is our plan. Uh, it somehow end in a one nothing like, like win or loss. It would just be the same shit. It would be like three shots on goal the whole fucking game. It would just be them. It would just be messing even by FIFA standards, just completely fucking boring. Losing on a deflected Colosso from some guy from Estonia that no one had heard of prior. The times no, really, no, man. No, I don't know. Knowing Chris, he he would probably research on like FIFA glitches and try to win on a glitch because he just can't win. No, he he would do the what FIFA Mike did right. Remember when he played a BWP as a defensive midfielder because of chemistry? Yeah. <laughs> two two guys, two absolute brain geniuses trying to out chemistry together for the togetherness. Is going that game's going to be? Uh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, I can't read this handle. Uh, at L Metro fan number one. I think that says American sauce. But if I'm wrong, um, please feel free to correct me in the mentions when this episode drops. Is the team waiting for a COVID vaccine to sign another coach? Players too. 
Well, I think we well we did sign two players. Uh, if I'm answering this question seriously, yeah. So um, that answers that part of it. Um, look, I mean, I don't even know if there's going to be a, a a United States right when COVID's all said and done. So I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, it's entirely possible that we've been armis and like the world ends like the next day. So in these in this day and age, I will not comment on this. But I, I, I will be watching the managerial search of the next few months, hopefully with bated breath. And uh, hopefully the world doesn't end before that. But I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a, bit, it's a bit too... Things are looking a bit uncertain right now. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, the, I think the better question is what happens first. Does the world end or do we get a new manager? Yeah. And it, it, would, be our, it would be our luck that the last manager... As the world ends, would be fucking Chris Harvest. Yeah, how's the that? last thing we got to see? Yeah, how's that for that so much moment? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Jesus Christ, man, that's bleak. Like, holy shit, that, that's the saddest thing I've heard all year. <laughs> oh man, rounding out the mailbag today is OAM contributor JJ Post. What asking us why did you fire Mike Petkey? Cork, if you can hear this, please come and get your boy. I think he's out of control again. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you how do you answer this? I mean, no corporate lingo, obviously, but um, look, did you see did you, did you see that post where someone actually was like, you know, Peck is available again. We should hire him. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I felt like I'd stepped into a different fucking universe. We, we, we've just gone backwards, you know, like uh, we, 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 we've, we've just been transported back to 2014 as a result of uh, the Chris Harmus era. Like, I mean, that's what it is, to be honest with you. Like, the, 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 this is kind of where we're at, dude. Like, it, now that I really think about it, like, this is another 2014 offseason, really, right? Like, yeah. uh, the future's looking so uncertain. But we brought in a guy who seems to think like there's a way forward. So what's that going to look like in 2021? I mean, assuming that soccer's played at this point, like we're on the precipice of another thing like this, you know? Only instead of, uh, I think only the question now is instead of why did you fire Mike Petke, it's going to be why did you wait this long to fire Chris Armis? <laughs> so we have actually gone forward, I guess. Um, we have. It- it's it's funny. I, I I feel like this is this is what people thought and were expecting twenty fifteen to be like. A lot. I feel like there's certain people in the fan base where they're almost reveling in this because they feel like they got to live what they thought they were going to live through through Jesse Marsh. It does, dude. Like. Like, 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 this is kind of what it would be like if you didn't have Jesse Marsh taking over post Henri. Really, if yeah. I think about it, and that's kind of a scary thing to think about because I mean, City were the new hotness in town at the time, and everybody was like, "Who the fuck? Is, what the fuck is the identity of this team going forward?" So yeah, oh man, time is a flat circle. Six years is all it took to get us back to square one. Um, <laughs> and I guess on that note. That does bring us to the end of the episode, clocking in at 91 minutes long. We thank you guys so much for uh, your contributions, as always. Uh, This was an episode that wasn't just six months in the making, but I think two years in the making. We've reached the end of the Armus era. Are we truly better because of it? Only the next few months will find out. 
But I guess with Kevin Thelwell in charge, you know, there's hope. And I'm going to be watching the game this Sunday, hopefully having a clear picture of how things are going to shake out, you know. As I think, as Nando mentioned, it's hard. It's been hard to ga- have a gauge, you know, take stock and in inventory and players when there's no overarching like structure to fit them into, right? The comparative benchmarks that you use to to gauge a player's readiness all gone out the window. Hopefully, that changes going forward. So, uh, I guess with that being said, Nando, do you have anything you want to say to wrap us to close out the episode? Yeah, but I think the next. I think one thing everyone should do is is kind of take a step back and kind of just recognize that um, it's very possible that the rest of this fake season is is kind of just thrown away. I mean, we have no idea who's going to be the uh, interim manager. We don't know if whoever they announce is going to be just to kind of cover a game or two, and then they'll announce another long, you know, longer term interim manager at the end of the season. Um, probably one of the most interesting things is it does almost seem like not that this was a hasty decision, but he wasn't quite planning on doing it right now because the fact that there is nobody like there was nobody lined up even as an interim. Um, so I have no expectations for Sunday. I am probably more curious to see how the guys play in terms of like their mannerisms and like, do they feel almost like, relieved because they don't have to listen to his weird shit anymore uh are they tense because they feel like they're on edge after you know getting rid of wheel and and now chris r is going and just kind of being uncertain of of who's you know what the future holds for them as far as who's going to lead them directly game uh you know game game by game um but yeah i i think i think this was a very uh, very decisive decision. I mean, he feels very confident in his decision. He's very happy with it. And yeah, I think, I think especially after experiencing a midseason change in 2018, we should really, really, really hold off on any uh, long-term opinions as far as you know what direction the team is going to be until next season, if we even have a. a anything that resembles a normal season next season because yeah. you know we got bit by that you know second half of 2018 we we saw changes we saw declines we we had some concerns but as a whole it's things seemed like they were actually going to keep chugging along and and 2019 would be great and we were fucking wrong so you know an interim manager is an interim manager and they kind of almost don't matter they're babysitters yeah. so let's 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 see who he picks to lead this team uh, for next season, and you know, let's just let's just go from there and see whatever moves uh, we see the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I think that sums it, sums it up for me as well. So, I guess first up, Philadelphia this Sunday. We'll probably see you online. We'll probably be uh, hopefully to be talking to you a bit more regularly as well. But for now, Lenson Fernando saying peace, arm us out forever, and um, don't post an RBDG. Friends don't let friends post on (laughs) Facebook. Peace. Good night. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Bye. Later.